Hey yo, welcome to another edition of 43.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. I, I think he said, what's up? Uh, what's you can up? tell on the YouTube version, if it does in fact post this week, um, that James waved <laughs> at the camera there. And uh, Maddie Key is also joining us today. Hello, Maddie. Yo, honestly, bro, like Christmas dinners are good, but man, Thanksgiving dinner just hits me so hard. Yes, we would like to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of our Canadian listeners. Uh, you folks down in the United States will have to wait another month for your version of Thanksgiving. But yeah, Maddie, you're right. I think uh, Thanksgiving is definitely up there. It's one of the best meals possible. Oh, and it's just like, like I said, it hits not on just like a making me feel good level, but like it's the one where I eat the most, right? Like Christmas, you eat a, like you eat a lot, but it. I just feel like Thanksgiving's that one where it's just made for gluttony, right? And as Jim knows, funny side story before we get into the weekly recap. One time, so I'm a big stuffing guy, and you know, dressing all that shit. One year, <laughs> my family like. There was like 20 of us at this Thanksgiving dinner and there's this big bowl of dressing and I just grabbed the bowl and I literally dumped probably three quarters of it on my plate and no one else had any stuffing for th- for Thanksgiving dinner. So after that year, my family started making a dedicated pile or batch just for me that I would eat in like a sitting. So I was never a stuffing guy until, hold on. Hold on. Until my sister got married in 96. And it might have been prior to that. So I would have been like 10 or something. And this is when his mother, his mother, his by his, I mean her husband's mother, uh, started bringing her version of stuffing. And her version of stuffing contains sausage. And this is like the greatest thing I've ever had in my life at this point. Like the sausage stuffing is the first thing to go every year now. Yeah. And Everyone has a thing, right? Yeah. Even though they're not even married anymore. They haven't been married for like a decade, but we still make the sausage stuffing and it's still like everyone's favorite thing. As a true story on the, the Maddie stuffing, that dude literally caused a second entire workload of effort to be done on holidays because this man literally ate an entire bowl and, it was one of those things like the bowl went to him and then it got to the next person and the, the spoon went in. It was like, think. And there's like, <laughs> and it's not even like the end. It's not even like office space where everybody gets a piece of cake and then it gets to Milton and there's nothing. It's like, what if there was <laughs> yes, just was Matt and Milton? I would, I would receive it. Yeah. It was just Matt and Milton and that was it. Like, <laughs> as you know, so yeah, it's, dude, a- it's Thanksgiving dinner is just a punch to the gut. And it's like, but it's one you asked for. It's like, you know, you're you're so it's so good going down, not so good, you know, pitching a tent and, and popping up shop. It's just like pitching a tent. tent yeah. I, I feel like we have a very different definition of what that means. Well, yeah, dinner just, giving you a massive boner. No, just chilling in the stomach, man. Starting to, you know, apply for residency. It's like it's so. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. It sits heavy. Yeah. Like it's, so, it's, it's much, always man. the next day and it's not even first thing in the morning come like 1230 in the afternoon. Yo, the, the porcelain princess is calling you. 
And say what you want about tryptophan and turkey. Like, I don't give a fuck. I can feel the entire plate of food sitting in my stomach. And so it's, it's not tryptophan. It's the fact that you just eat too much. And you eat quick, right? It's yeah, too it's, much. it's usually a, a full plate that you're dealing with. And we have a full plate of a schedule today on our program. It, we have the Toronto Blue Jays getting knocked out of the playoffs. We have the Toronto Maple Leafs starting their season tomorrow. I guess by the time this posts on Wednesday, the Toronto Maple Leafs will be in action for the first game in the 2022-2023 season. And of course, there's a whole lot of casualties on that roster, Wayne Simmons being one of them. And he was in the news to, uh, this past week as well as he had a bit of a joust with one of the dumbest reporters in the history of the world. We'll talk a bit about that. Hockey Canada is in the news again because they just can't not be because they're run by idiots. And we have a development in the Hockey Canada story. Uh, week six of the NFL is happening this week. We will go over all of our picks from week five. Some of them won. Some of them didn't. Spoilers, mine didn't. <laughs> and if we have time, we'll dive into a couple wrestling stories because there's some interesting doozies that happened over the past week we will likely not do a top five and by likely i mean we're not doing a top five today (laughs) it may return next week we just have a very big schedule of stories to talk about this week and of course we'll end with shout outs yeah blame hockey canada for not being able to do a top five because we have to waste time on those (laughs) asinine assholes it's not just that but there are so many other stories that we just said okay we got to cut that we got to cut that because it's way too much going on this week and i feel like that might be a theme coming up as we now are entering hockey season and basketball season busiest sports schedule like time of year because like yeah, nfl is at its peak teams are playoffs. who they are you know yeah, plus MLB. we have major league baseball playoffs yeah, yeah. so it's there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in october so there's a good chance we will be discontinuing top five until a lighter time in the schedule which i imagine would be you know february all-star break kind of thing right yeah but before we get to all those topics, we do like to catch up on our week and what everyone has been up to. If you've done anything interesting, I know we did just talk about our Thanksgiving dinners, but uh, Maddie, we'll start with you. Anything of note of the past week? Yeah. So like, I'm a big nerd culture person. Like, I think we all have our things. Like we're all into comic books and video games and stuff, but like, I'll, I'll dive a little deeper, a big anime guy. And you know, one of my favorite anime of all time like series is Gundam. And so when I was a kid, I loved the toys and, you know, the models and stuff like that. But just recently I was like, you know what? I'm going to get back in to Gunpla, which is the, the Gundam model build, right? So like you buy the kits and you do the crimping and you put them all together and stuff. So yeah, wifey and me, um, built one together this weekend and bought a bunch more that were just waiting to come. So we built those and, yeah, getting closer to dad life. You know, the kids' room is all set. We just got to get the crib in there, but everything else is ready to go. And we're, you know, kind of, I, I, it feels like the sort of Damocles is above my head and I'm just waiting for it to come down. And that's when that kid comes because I know the <laughs> life that I have now currently will not exist anymore. Yeah. So um, everyone says it gets, it's different, but just as awesome, if not better. But I don't know. We'll see. I enjoy my selfish free time. So, but yeah, no, like it was honestly just getting back into the swing of things from coming back. And, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing coming back from like a two week vacation where it's like you complete and not just like, oh, I'm spending two weeks in Florida or LA where 
you know, life's kind of similar, you know, yeah, you're in a different country, but it's similar, but like coming from a completely different side of the world and culture and vibe and everything like that fucking sucks coming back sometimes. You know what I mean? So just figuring that out, but no, nah, man, it's kind of, kind of a chill week. James. Uh, I've been going back and rewatching the, the league because of all the times, <laughs> yes. because we've been, <laughs> and I got to say after this week, man, I don't know if you, if taco put your team together, but I spanked you, sir. I, uh, oh, that was you? I had no idea who I was playing in that fantasy football matchup. Yeah, but I destroyed you yeah, by double, you doubled your points. What, Josh Allen and there was Justin, someone else who had Justin a ridiculous Jefferson. Day. Yo, that week yeah, was Justin. old. And, wait, uh, if wait, he had Josh Allen? I have Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson, and the Dallas defense. Yeah. Yeah, so like my point total wasn't bad. I don't even, I stopped looking at yeah, it. Yeah, it was. It was 90. Like 100 and. Was it bad? Okay, so was it okay? Whatever it was, it, <laughs> at some point I stopped. I think I was what I was looking at was like the projection totals. So oh, I was yeah. looking at like I'm at here. I'm still projected here, like one twenty or whatever. I'll tell you. I wasn't worried about it, but then I looked at how many points you already had, and you're like 170. I'm like, okay, I, like, here, I'll regardless tell you. of what my guys going forward are supposed to get, I am not hitting that. And all right, yeah, I stopped. So right looking now, at it, like, right now, afternoon, the score is 181 to 94. Um, I have Josh Allen. Oh, Brees Hall, your boy, New York Jets, won again, by the way, three and two. Better better record than the Pats. Second, 27 points, Brees Hall. Second, tie for second, the AFC East with the Dolphins. Then I had Jefferson, 30 points. I had Godert, or Goddard, 17 and a half points. (laughs) Devonta Smith, 18. Dallas defense, 22 points. Nick Folk for New England, 18 points. Dude, I swept the t- and Juju's playing now. Juju Smith Schuster is playing now. So if, if Clyde Edwards Hilaire can get you uh, 100 points, uh, you can win this <laughs> game. And Juju Smith Schuster gets hurt. <laughs> okay, so for the record, Juju Smith Schuster is a fraud and he's horrendous. But, <laughs> fraud. Um, yes, I don't think there's a chance in hell that. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to uh, produce 100 points for me. So I've, I already accepted this loss like yesterday afternoon. So that's why when you brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a thing. That, but, but you know what? While we're here, and I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about this, but you had messaged me yesterday about your New York Jets. And, and they're so good. They were so here, good. Here's, here's so what I want to point out to you. I, I, so, I no, have you're going to point out. I'm, you know, I'm going to let you make a schedule. Statement. No, no, no. I'm gonna, I know what he's going to say because he said it to me yesterday. And I'm going to counter what he's going to say with a completely logical and valid point. Go ahead, Dustin. What I was going to say is, it's really not that impressive beating up the Dolphins when they have a third-string quarterback out there. Okay, right. And I'm going to say, the third-string quarterback doesn't play defense, Dustin. The Jets still scored 40 points on the Dolphins' defense. Okay, but consider this, James. Hold on, consider this. And they had a safety. And they had a safety. Right? One at a time, ladies. <laughs> okay, consider what? Go ahead. Consider that what happens is the Jets score. And I'm not saying their offense isn't good, although I am saying, you know, that reminds me, I got to drop that piece of shit, Garrett uh, <laughs> Wilson. That guy's horrendous. I get him off my roster. As He's fast not as horrendous. He had fraud. a great, his, in fact, one of his catches solidified one of the drives yesterday. Uh, so when you're playing fantasy football and you get three receptions and 27 yards, you are off the team. Like you are no longer fantasy relevant. Okay, that's half the Anyways. fucking Ravens roster. 
I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to like say the Ravens wide receivers are better than this clown. They're all bad. The Ravens are Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews, and that's it. I understand that. And I mean Justin Tucker, obviously. Shout out to the GOAT, the greatest kicker of all time, uh, Justin Tucker. Um when the Jets score, and they scored a lot, what happens? The Dolphins offense comes out in the field. And then you have the third string quarterback go out there and just shit the bed in three plays. Okay. And then guess what happens? The Jets right. get the ball right back. But here's the thing. And then the defense that you're saying, oh, well, the defense is like not the third string defense. No, it's the defense that had to play 49 minutes because their offense can stay on the field. Wait, and listen, okay, but can I, who started the game for the Dolphins? Are we talking about a quarterback right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who started for the, for the Dolphins quarterback? Well, we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater, yes. Who you said was better than Tua, right? Yes, I did okay. say that. And what well, happened to Teddy? I said, I jokingly said that they are probably better off with Bridgewater okay. than Tua. And then what happened to what happened to Teddy? Uh, he the got Jets D the took the man with... out. The Jets D took oh, the you're... man out. So you're celebrating the fact that the Jets defense injured a person. Dude, that's a violent D. There we go. I'm just saying. He's not, and listen, he's 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 not he's not injured though. Doesn't matter. He got hit on the he got hit on the head. You and think they Teddy Bridgewater the wins that game? Because they're ultra sensitive now. Teddy Bridgewater is win that game. Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater wins the game either. It's not the right. point I'm trying so to make. So then there you go. So right, but if then if, if Teddy Bridgewater, the second string, is is probably better than the first string, the Jets beat that team all day. I'm not disputing the fact that the Jets can and should have beaten the Dolphins. I think the, you're underestimating the, the, the how good they point, are. I think you're underestimating how good the Jets can be. And this I is what I told you at the start of the season. underestimating how good the Jets are. No, I'm not. I told you at the start of the season, if this division gets messy, it's in the Jets' favor. And this division is getting messy. It's the Bills and literally everybody else, right? Like, the, yes. the Pats aren't good without Mac Jones, right? Like, they're not. I mean, they're barely good with them. I mean, right? exactly. the Pats did have a hell of a performance this past Sunday. They did, but listen, what's the Pats record? Two and three? Uh, if I had to guess, two and, t- two and three? Two or three. Or they three and two? I don't know. And the Dolphins? I'll look it up. I think, we, I think we all thought the Dolphins might be good after some of their performances, but hey, I think we know the Dolphins, maybe, maybe we, they aren't what we thought they could be. And the Jets are what you didn't think they could be. And that's what I'm saying. I think the Jets have a chance at finishing second in this division. They do. I, I don't disagree with the Jets finishing second place in this division. Which is a giant step for this franchise that is perennially garbage. This is my Stanley. This is my Graceland. This is my Stanley Cup. The Jets finish second. Give us, give us a ring. They deserve rings. Like that's that's how perennially bad they've been. But you understand that finishing second in this division might mean a record of like eight and ten. That's fine. Nine, if the Jays the can sell, if the Jays can celebrate a wild card berth, then we can celebrate second in the AFC East. Just after. because you end up being a second in the AFC East doesn't mean you get a wild card spot. I don't care. I'm saying they're about the same terms as in success. No, they're not. <laughs> okay, boys, we got a loaded <laughs> schedule. This is going to take way too much time. I agree. We, we digress. We will see how the uh, NFL season rolls rolls along. Um, quickly though, I would like to say over the weekend I saw Amsterdam and it's a really good movie. And you should go watch it. That that cast is loaded. 
Yeah, that was the only reason I wanted to see the movie. Like, I I saw the cast as like Christian Bale and Margot Robbie and Anya Taylor Joy and John David Washington. I'm like, it just keeps going. Michael like, Myers. So, Mike Myers and Chris Rock and Taylor was Swift it? was in there for some reason. There's that guy Mike Shanahan or whatever. Um, Zod from Superman. Michael Shannon, not Mike. Michael Shannon. Shannon. Michael Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Shannon. Michael Shannon. Mike Shannon. Brendan Shannon. <laughs> um, there's a movie I wanted to see. It was about. Uh, I was watching SNL, and it's that new one with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. It's their their friends, and they're like Irish, and then they like stop being friends, and they like try and ruin each other's lives. It's like a dark comedy that takes place in Ireland. It looks really good. It's like it's the Banshees of Inniskillen, I think, or something. But it looks you know looks wicked. A dark comedy might be a very good way to describe the movie that the Toronto Blue Jays suggested that they were going to be. Um, (laughs) as we all know uh, earlier this season or I guess it was beginning of the year when they're doing media availability Vladimir Guerrero Jr. uh, infamously said last year was the trailer and this year is the movie which I know isn't supposed to be something to hold him to it wasn't it was just an offhand remark plus he's also like English is not his first language so I imagine there may have been a bit of a loss of translation there but but everyone has kind of held into that all year. And the Toronto Blue Jays were the first wildcard team in previous years. They would not have had to play in this ridiculous wildcard play in nonsense. They would have gone right to Houston to play the Astros. But we are living in a different Major League Baseball world right now. So the Toronto Blue Jays had to play the Seattle Mariners, who honestly have had their number all season. But this only saving grace for the Blue Jays was that they were playing at home against the Mariners in three straight games, all in Toronto. So you would you would expect that would be an advantage for the Blue Jays. <sighs> well, and then it went the way it went. So I'm sure you understood and you saw everything that already happened. So there's not much that we can recap for you. But I think the interesting thing is two things, or maybe three things. One. Is this the end of John Schneider? Yep. Next question. <laughs> Barry Bonds over here. Next question. <laughs> James, do you believe so too? You think this is it? Uh, I don't actually. Um, for the amount of leash Charlie Montoyo got <laughs> for his mishandling of, of pitching and whatever, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, in the after we do these three points here, uh, I think John Schneider's won too much with these kids. And grown too much with these kids to get to get the axe. Like I think he's going to get a crack at it next year. Um, I wonder, and we can get to this too. I wonder if they're going to do kind of what we said and and look towards some other veteran presence or looking towards a guy like having Whit Merrifield on the roster all year to be that kind of veteran presence. Because um, as much as I said I didn't think Whit was the solution at the time, and I still don't think he was. Because I mean. And again, I know the the bullpen didn't didn't come to play. Um, I think uh, I think you got to give him a full crack at it, much to the same, you know, like Sheldon Keefe, right? Sheldon Keefe played with a bunch of these kids in the Marlies, and then got his chance. So I think. The, but the chance. difference is 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 Keefe. It was always known that whenever Babcock's either contract ran up or the situation where. They wanted to get rid of him, which they did. It, Keith was the guy to take over. 
John Schneider was just, you know what? We're so deep into the season. No point bringing someone else in. We'll let them ride them out. And if they make the playoffs, great. We'll see how it goes. If not, come in next season. I, it was never the plan for him to be the next guy in line. And regardless of, I think the issue is being like, oh, he grew with these kids. That's part of the problem. They need someone fresh to come in, different point of view, no previous relationships with these kids to be like, fuck you guys. You want to talk all this shit that you, you know, you you deserve to be a top, you know, echelon team, all these projections. You haven't shown, shown shit yet. And you need someone to come in with that fresh perspective that guy like John Schneider wouldn't have because again he's got pre-existing relationships with these kids because yeah he came in to replace montoyo but he's been here just as long yeah and i don't i don't necessarily disagree and there's some interesting names out there for the jays to take a look at joe madden i think being one of them is uh is apparently sitting out there and uh you know so i don't necessarily disagree with that i i just i guess i'm i'm looking at it from the perspective of the organization and kind of their mo's thus far and it's the mo has to been to bring everything up through the system together. Um, right, but they can't afford another, they can't afford a season of like, you know what, let's give him a chance. They're at the point with these guys in their ages and their contracts, especially with certain guys that have to be signed, they can't afford a season of being like, you know what, we want a manager to come in and grow with them like they did with Montoyo, or hey, we want to give you a shot and kind of see how it goes. Because if halfway through the season, these guys aren't, sniffing or in the top two in their division they're not it's just another wasted season of a guy where they could have gotten another manager i think they come in with and they tell schneider hey you can remain as the bench coach if you want to stay or the new manager comes in but they're getting somebody new but i guess the fear is right like if somebody new comes in and they're not second or first in the division then what I, I still think it's an actionable item as opposed to a status quo with kind of staff that's been there for the past 10 years. I think it's, I, I, I'm leaning more towards with Maddie. I think, I, I don't think they even wanted him in this role this year. And the way that game ended up where it was, okay, I don't want to put all the blame on Schneider. You don't no. pull Gosman after getting out of a like, po- no, 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 like bases loaded. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just saying I don't put all of that blame. No, no, on no. But that 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 was the game change because he worked himself out of that jam. He had the momentum. You let him. You let him at least try and attempt to finish the inning with that batter. And now, if the guy gets a single and two runs come in, okay, you pull him. Or if you know, maybe he walks the guy and okay, they get a run. But the fact that the the whole momentum shift from being bases loaded with no out to bases loaded and two out, you don't. I I just think that was a really bad managerial call that changed the game. I I agree, and I think that ultimately is the move that will cost him his job. But even after that monumental, ridiculously stupid idea. To put not only to take out Gossman, which I understand why he wanted to take out Gossman yes. because he was starting to lose it. The bases were juiced. It was starting to look out of hand, or it could have got out of and, hand. And it was a switch hitter that had doubled off Gossman the last at bat. So don't like there 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 were reasons. There were reasons. There like there were more reasons to do what he did than there were not to. 
The one reason not but. to was that Gosman was having a great game. But, and? But for the bat, the batter specific in the situation, I would say 9 out of 10 managers might make that same decision. I So here's the, here's this is, this is my issue, though. My issue is Tim Meza. Right. And that it's not like he's coming in to face a left-handed batter. He's coming in to face a switch ha- batter. And we know, regardless of what Santana's splits are, what is Meza's splits right, versus exactly. right-handed hitters? Exactly. And they're horrendous. So why would you put Meza in that situation to face a right-handed hitter? It doesn't make any sense. To me, it didn't make any sense. And I said, you know what? We'll just see how this goes. But even after all of that, even after those four runs score, or three runs, or whatever it was, the score was still nine to five Blue Jays after that inning. Or I guess it was eight to five, and the Jays scored one more the next inning. Whatever. They were up nine to five, even after the nonsense that happened with Meza. But you start compounding the issue where you use Meza, and now you have to go to your bullpen earlier in the seventh than you should have. So if. Using guys like Anthony Bass. So you're, yeah, you start using bullpen players that maybe you wouldn't have used. Do you think you they start... didn't go to Kikuchi because they were saying, let's try and get out of this and get to a game three and save him for game oh, three? No. Kikuchi? They've never would have used Kikuchi. I mean, at that point, though, it's like, why not? He hasn't been terrible over his He's... last. His last twenty because at least because at least with Meza you can at least say well he's been well, useful no. all the last year. twenty the last twenty appearances for Kukuchi he was a strikeout machine. No, but you, we can't be serious right now and saying that you would have used Kikuchi in a playoff game in any circumstance over Meza in that situation. I don't know. Uh, there's zero percent chance I would have used Kikuchi in that situation. He's also a left-handed pitcher. That's the same. It's same. the same problem. Right, like you're still running into the same issue pitching yeah, but, a left. But, but, with a, but with a switch hitter, you're going to run the, the. You're going to run whether it's a right. Whoever the problem is, right there. The problem is they don't have. And here's it. It doesn't. You know what, Dustin? You're right about compounding the issue. But I think we're addressing the 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 elephant. We're not addressing the elephant in the room, <clears> and that <throat> is the Jays bullpen doesn't have gas. That's the problem. Well, I, I don't know if necessarily gas is the issue, but I think what I, I'll agree with you in a sense that the bullpen has been a problem all year. No, but so, they don't have gas. Who's the guy who throws above 90? I understand what you're trying to say. And Kikuchi throws almost close to 100. He throws 97, 98. Right, but if he's not, but, but if he's not the I would solution, never use Kikuchi in this situation. Right, but that's what I'm saying. So who's, who's the flamethrower out of the bullpen to get you three outs in a row? Nate Pearson. That, that, that guy's point, just as bad as Kikuchi. Like he's going okay. to be in double A for the rest of his career. I, clearly, I'm joking. Nate Pearson yeah. had mono in April but, and never came but back. But that's to what team, I'm saying. So. When it came down to the trade deadline, everyone was bitching about Soto or not Soto, Castillo or not Castillo. Which, hey, listen, taking offense wasn't the issue. It's get the pitcher, get the bullpen. Your your starting pitching wasn't necessarily the issue, and your offense wasn't the issue. It was you from the fifth and sixth inning on. You were your bullpen failed. fingernails dug into the wood. So. The, okay, so the issue, this is what's interesting to me, that the Blue Jays had very clear, very apparent issues going into the bullpen, or excuse me, going into the uh, trade deadline. And we talked about on this show of what they needed to help fix this team. They needed bullpen arms, and which they back. kind of fixed, not really. I mean, I shouldn't say they fixed. They tried to address by adding Bass and Pop, who... Eh. Yeah, we saw what happened with that. We clearly identified that they needed help with 
a bat somewhere in the lineup, and they didn't really add that. They clearly needed help defensively in the outfield, and they didn't do that. And, and what cost them this game? A bad bullpen cost them this game. Going to their bench and having nobody really hurt bat, them at the end of this game. game. No, but that, 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 I, I don't think that was necessarily an issue. That was My problem with that is that doesn't need to happen if guys... That whole play with Bo and George pissed me off. It was a selfish Bo play have been, by Bo. It was selfish by Bo trying to be a hero. So that's another thing where I think you can probably place some of the blame on Schneider as well. Where we under like we know as people watching this game that Bo Bichette looks like uh, a bit of a mm, how should I say this? I don't know if moron's the right word, but I was gonna say questionable decision making. He is one of the worst defensive shortstops in the league. With a guy who I, has the talent to be a top level defensive shortstop in the league. They're he, just he massive year, brain like, farts. Like the biggest brain farts you've ever seen come out of that guy. Right. Yeah. Like he so he shouldn't be a, a starting shortstop in this league. Maybe he'd be a good second baseman. Um, yeah. Maybe you can try him out in left field. He is horrendous defensively. Now, he made some cool plays in, in this game, so we'll give him a bit of credit. But there are like fundamental plays that he should make as a professional ball player that he doesn't make, and they're just bonehead plays. Just that, routine shit that he just fucks up all the time. That is no business in the majors. And that is something that has been an issue for the Blue Jays all season. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like there has been things that we knew about with this team, and then they just all came to light in this game. It was the bullpen. It was George Springer being uh, an android. Like the guy is clearly beaten up and broken. But they didn't Swing. think they needed another outfielder in the deadline. So they just said, okay, send Springer out there with one arm and, and swinging at everything. Like his uh, yeah. first at bat was three straight swings to Robbie Ray. Yeah, and he can't three hit. straight straight. Yeah. And I don't blame him. He has no arms. He's swinging with shoulders, nothing but shoulders. And then you have Bo Bichette, who is a prima... I don't want to say he's a prima donna. He is overly confident in his abilities and that he's proven that he doesn't have a whole lot of defensive abilities. So him running out there to center field, A, shows that he is overly confident in what he can do, and B, shows that he has no faith in George Springer. You need to leave the center fielder to do his job. My thing is... yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, if he leaves that ball for George Springer, even if it drops... One run scores? Two, yeah, maybe like two, because Tapia's there backing up, or Bo's already towards there. Well, my my whole thing is, and this is kind of... Ball. Yeah, like, my whole thing has always been that, and this is kind of how talking to a lot of friends who both have played, you know, a lot of baseball through, you know, whether it's college or, you know, just essentially the equivalency of knowledge of baseball that I have for hockey... They were like, look, if that center fielder wants to run in from center field to home plate and call everyone off, everyone should get the fuck away. The center fielder has priority. The fact that Bo's running back there, knowing that that ball is in mid-center, is just, like I said, to me, it's just like he he was in his head. He's like, this is my moment. I'm going to be the show. And then he goes and tries to make plays like that. Or, you know, which in, is, wrestling, in wrestling, they call when you know, like, What's going on? You like you have great ring awareness, right? Like Bo showed zero field, field awareness. Yeah, 
like it was it was almost embarrassing all season and that's not just that game it's the whole season and what's sad is and it, you, what are you going to do with him because he's the MLB hits leader so where like, you have to keep him somewhere you move Espinal to short and him to second you know, or I, I don't. I don't disagree with that idea. I don't know how they'll go over with them, but I agree that I think a good path forward is Bo moves over to second, and you either replace him from within, or you go to the free agency and find a shortstop. Or Elvis Martinez is he, ready. Or Elvis Martinez is ready. That could be an option. You know, there's. I don't know. I, and, I think and you there, need and to there were take, times where this team needed a hit too, by the way, and they pinched. They pinched hit. Like, where's Gabe Moreno? Why is this? Why is this dude not yeah. hitting? He's a hitting machine. The not guy, just the, that. It's like, yeah, like I mean, you can probably pinch hit him, and like in the moments that you need a hit, he pinch hits. And then if for someone, and then okay, you pull and throw Tapia out there after to replace him defensively in the field, right? But there's there's clear gaps that aren't easily solved in terms of whether it's what's available or just, I guess, strategically for how you want to handle some of these guys moving forward. Because obviously there's value in Bo for sure, but it, the value is not him at shortstop. The interesting thing is both games highlighted the Jays' problems individually, right? Like the Jays... Game one couldn't hit. <laughs> game one, they, they needed a, a clutch hit to kick things off and they, they couldn't get it. And the Jays are the they type were like of, a 140 with runners in scoring position in the fucking oh my god. Right? And like the Jays were shit with runners in scoring position for like three quarters of the year. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's that and I think that comes down to not having a diverse batting lineup. And then the second game, like you said, was was the bullpen. And like listen, everybody said that and I believe we said at the start of the year when we did our Jays season preview, I believe we all sat here and said that bullpen is going to be suspect. And then the bullpen was pretty good for like the first month or two. And then it was just outside of Romano, like, dude, it was pretty bad. Yep. So well, I don't, it, it, it also bull- doesn't help when your starters can't go past five innings. Yeah. And, right? and the bullpen, like, the, well, burials, like, like burials let them down all year. Like yeah. the fact, like, and Kikuchi and Barrios being in the rotation and being pulled consistently after four or five was just. Well, when you're when your fifth starter, who's Ryu, essentially disappears off the face of the earth, and then you're left having to find a guy to fill in who is probably better suited for the bullpen in chicken strips. Essentially, at that, if if all things are, you know, being optimal. He is. He would have been the guy coming in from the pen to take over from Gosman at that point. Um, so there's that, and then when your guys, like I said, can't go longer than five, you're relying way too much on your bullpen, and you're relying way too much on your bullpen, which clearly isn't capable of handling that much. If even even the typical bullpen load, they struggled. And yeah. then when you're asking them to essentially play half a game, it's it's you're not going to be successful. If only there was a guy like Luis Castillo that was available at the bull, at the if trade only. deadline if only. that we could have had that we were in the running for, but then like, eh, too expensive. 
Don't get Mitch White. By the way, listen, and bullpen help is usually the cheapest help you can get at the trade deadline, which is what very frustrated me a lot because you know you can get out there with a 8th, ninth, 10th prospect can get you a solid bullpen help, and it's just... And it's not just like serviceable. Like above average bullpen help is cheap at trade deadline because these are guys you know probably aren't going to resign with you if they're on expiring contracts. You know, you have to get something. And so you'll take, honestly, you'll take scraps at that point just to get something for guys that aren't going to resign with you that, and you're not making the postseason. So it's just, I don't know. At, at that point, as, as much as Dustin had said, it's like there's things we can't put all the blame on Schneider. Then at the same time, some on the players for sure. Like I said, Bo's decision making and the guys can't make a hit, and you know even bullpen guys just not performing. But then there's a massive amount of accountability that has to go on Shapiro and Atkins for not accurately assessing what's needed and executing on acquiring the well, need. On the bright side, next year we'll be close enough to the bullpen to tell them when they stink. So the uh, but and another thing just to wrap up for me to put a bow in the year. Bo, get it? Um, did uh, did the Pete Walker magic disappear? Did it feel like this year, like Pete Walker's pitching guru ship just was absent? Like there was a lot of pitchers expect- that could have benefited from his his like Sage Walker like dust. Well, that just like, I mean, Barrios, look at, look at stri- chicken strips. Look at Stripling, yeah. I mean, but Stripling wasn't wasn't hot garbage mm. last year. No, but he, he wasn't was good. A, he, like, okay, when Stripling was acquired by the Blue Jays, we were talking about him being a bullpen guy, a, a, a seventh or sixth or seventh starter. Now, when they were entering into the playoffs, it was a slam dunk. He is our third starter. He is the guy who's going to pitch in game three if needed. Okay, so then Stripling and Kikuchi cancel each other out because we all thought Kikuchi was going to come in, be a fourth guy, throw, throw bangers, strike guys out. So that's what I'm saying, right? Like, and then Barrios, what the fuck happened to that dude? Like, did he miss yeah, the flight? I, I, he got the yips. Maybe. I, I I don't think you blame Pete Walker for that. I think also the legend of Pete Walker is greatly overstated. For that's what I'm saying. What like, are, did we did we put too much stock into what Pete Walker is able to accomplish? Or no, I think I think we're accurately stock or we're accurately, I guess understanding of what he can do but i think the expectation is that you know the dude has had such a good track record that the two or three screw-ups that he has over the past 30 it's just like they're highlighted more on a team in a position like this with all the hype that they had and then all the failures that they kind of had and let's not kid ourselves with preseason projections to where they ended up it's a failure right you know like as much as we can say well, they were in the wild card. They did this. The expectations were they were either the best or second best team in the MLB. And with that kind of expectation and what was delivered, that's that's a failure. So I just think it's augmented with the way that the season ended and the expectation with the gap of, you know, the back half of the starting pitching and the bullpen. So I think that's why we look at question the The, pete walker thing the last 20 games it's funny you bring that up the last 20 games were like a micro version of the entire season right it's like all this hype about how good they are last 20 games these guys are running through we're running away with the top wild card 
we got this, home advantage, we're mashing people, we're beating up the Red Sox 400 to nothing. Like, that's, you know, and then they just, they flopped. And it was just the same way as the start of the season. All this hype, they're going to mash balls, they're going to be incredible, and they flopped. They flopped the first part of the year. So if this was a movie, what movie was it? In my my opinion, I think it's Titanic, where Hmm. it's this big powerhouse where you think is going to be the lap of luxury and it's going to be the greatest thing on earth. Uh, but you don't realize that it's uh, it's got some issues and it's got some cracks and you know there's water leaking in and then all of a sudden you hit an iceberg and it's over. Hostel. <laughs> you're on vacation and then you're expecting all this great time and then you just get tortured for the whole time. <laughs> Mine is uh, Justice League: The Snyder Cut because you start seeing the original <laughs> movie with the shitty director and you're like, this fucking sucks. But then the new director or the the other director comes in and kind of restores it back to what it was supposed to be. And you're like, well, this is better, but it's still not quite fucking good enough. So <laughs> And it's in black and white. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, the Snyder cut of Justice League. Uh, so from one team that uh, performed poorly into the playoffs to one team that does it on a regular basis, the Toronto Maple Leafs are about to kick off their 2022-2023 season. And in doing so, they've had to fandangle the salary cap a little bit. They placed a number of gentlemen on waivers. Off the top of my head, it's Wayne Simmons, uh, Adam Gaudet, uh, Victor Mete. Uh, I feel like I'm missing one. Well, Mete's more, he's kind of banged up, but he'll probably clear and then they'll be able to bring him up as a depth guy. They all cleared. Okay, so yeah, they he'll all, be they a, all clear. he will be up at some point, but I, that one is a cap reasons slash he's banged up a little bit. So, uh, in doing and by sending them to the so them clearing waivers and then going to the Marlies and then putting John Tavares on long term injured reserve nope. as well as uh, Timothy Lilligren no, going Tavares on long term. Tavares Tavares is on the roster. Is he on the roster? Yes, yeah, sir. because if they put him on LTIR, he can't come back to like November, but he'd probably be ready in like the next week. Oh boy! Well, yeah, it's so, okay. it, yeah, it's confusing. So there's a lot going on here. Basically, uh, the Maple Leafs have four dollars left of cap space. <laughs> no, they so can't George, even buy a Starbucks coffee. No, <laughs> they have figured out a way to get underneath the cap, even by signing uh, Zach Aston Reese, who. Uh, <laughs> who has a salary of $840,630. And that's because that is all the money they had left. <laughs> it's yeah. like, we're going to make some moves and we're going to free up like X amount of cash space and whatever we have left, that's going to be your salary for this season. Which says yeah. something because like, it shows how much he would he wanted to play here because everything that was seen, that dude could have gone anywhere. Teams easily could have been like, here, here's a million, you know, come play here. He probably could have gone back to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, there's, I, so I think that's all says a lot for him wanting to be here. And I know kind of jumping in and around of what this team is, but obviously this is a preview for them. That fourth line may be the most annoying line to play against in the NHL this year. Not necessarily the fourth line. You mean, uh, Obey Kubel, Aston Reese, and Kampf. David Kampf. Do you put Kampf on the fourth line? Is that yeah. the plan? Yeah. yeah. And then I just think, and it's not even like because they're going to pound you into the ice. 
they're just annoying. They're that little prick that's on you all the time. Just bugs the shit out of you. There's sticks in your hands. I was saying that Jimmy and me were driving around yesterday, just kind of going to retro game stores and just kind of, you know, scouting it out. And I was just, one of the things I had said is if a guy had, when I was playing, if a guy would come and bump me or, you know, try and get body position on me that I could deal with. And that I'd be like, all right, that's fine. You know, I'm, I know how to play this way. You know, physical hockey was my bread and butter and, you know, body position and strength. Like that's fine. But it's the dudes that always had their stick, like near your hands, smacking at your stick, getting, you know, in between your legs to try and get the puck and just that shit bugs me. And I was watching them for a couple of these games and those guys all the time are like swatting at your stick just like always swatting at the pot, like just the most annoying, frustrating fucking shit on the planet. They are going to be so annoying to play against. And let's, like let's, let's, for, yeah, let's not forget, like Austin Reese was sixth in the league in hits. And I mean, like the guy doesn't, the guy doesn't hit to, to destroy you, but he definitely like, you know, it's, it's the thing my dad would always say to my brother and I, like when you hit a guy, the instantaneous next thought of that guy is like, okay, you're, you're always looking over your shoulder because now you're assuming something's coming, right? Which causes you to second guess something, which causes mistakes. So you have this fourth line that is, you know, going to be annoying to play against and it's going to cause a lot of mistakes and it's probably going to draw a lot of penalties. But to go back to what Matt said about Aston Reese wanting to play here, listen, I've been critical of Kyle Dubas, but the one thing I won't be critical of him is, is how he treats the players, right? And I wonder if there is a very trusting nature about the player and the GM where, you know, maybe Duba said, listen, I honestly don't know how much I'm going to be able to give you, but I will give you everything we have left, you know? And Aston Reese said, you know what, I'll, I'll take that. And I'll, I'll appreciate that kind of honesty, right? Like it's impossible that Dubas would have known exactly how much he would have had until, till Sunday. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's, um, you know, the way Dubis is upfront and honest with the people he works with, you know, and I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it after, but we see that with Wayne Simmons, right? So, um, yeah, in terms of the lineup, so Tavares is on the roster and the only way they made it work is like Maddie said, is if they, they could have put Tavares on LTIR, but they'd have to lose him either for 10 games or 24 days, whichever one comes first. So you, they're even thinking he might play Wednesday. So, but if he can't play Wednesday, they're going to play a man short because they can't afford to put him on LTIR. So they're actually going to play a dude short and then emergency call up Robertson on Thursday. So that's that's how Which, they'll get uh, around that. For for a roster like this, where guys like Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, you want to get them as much ice as possible. I mean, that's not the worst situation, especially this early in the year where guys are relatively fresh, you know, not really injuries, nothing like that, you know, and they're, they're your horses. One or two games having to play an extra three, four minutes a night is not going to kill them. If, if anything, though, it'll probably make them feel more into the game. And as it stay, yeah. And as it stands right now, even so like my ideal lineup for this and listen, we all know the lineup tonight means fuck all for the lineup come April, right? Like things can change. Guys get hurt. Guys get no, treated. this lineup's just the trailer. <laughs> but <laughs> well, no, I, I see your point because none of us last year would have said bunting was in the top line, right? Right. So 
Well, I mean, no, yes and no. I think a lot of people picked well, no, his because skill it set. was what's his face. I, I don't remember who it was now, but they brought in like a big bruiser to put on the top line. I forgot. Nick Ritchie. It was Nick Ritchie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's uh, Bunting, Matthews, Marner. Then I would honestly go uh, one of, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the guy had a good camp. Either Robertson or Gino Mulgan, and and Tavares. Well, it's, and it's not going to be Robertson. So, well, not Wednesday. Not It'll now. be Thursday, right? And I assume it's, they can only bring him up on an emergency basis because it's a back-to-back. Is that the well? Idea? Yes. No, it's once you play a game with a man short, you're allowed an emergency call up. So uh, I think either one of Robertson or, or Mulgan, because I think the skill sets are similar. Um, I mean, Robertson's infinitely more skilled, but I think they bring the same kind of game to the table. And then Kerfoot, Yarncroft, Angval, and then the pain in the ass line. And I think that's pretty comprehensive. I actually like that lineup a lot better than than last year's lineup. That fourth yeah, line it, is something they've never had. I have it written down the exact same way. Bunting, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, when and if he's healthy, and uh, Mulgan. And then... <laughs> It was so much disdain that Mulligan. Hey, that dude scored a highlight real goal. Yeah, that was crispy. Like that was a fresh goal. Uh, Yeah, then Engvall. (laughs) Also, Engvall's on this team with Kerfoot and Yankrock. So here's what I want to wager with you guys. Uh, Obviously, we're not betting real money because uh, we can't talk about that uh, in podcast world. But uh, I will bet you a glass of water that uh, Evgeny Mulligan will not be on this team come December. Yeah. No, I, I would. T- I, I'm with you on that. I don't think. I mean, he's he's had tr- like he's played 200 NHL games, but I think they've in, been in like 15, 20 game spurts. He hasn't been able to hold down, um, like a job. Interestingly enough, though, he played with Matthews in Switzerland. When Matthews played in Switzerland, they were teammates on the the Swiss squad, which is interesting. So I don't know if Matthews uh, for- is like, hey, this guy's good. For the record, I would like to acknowledge that we know his name is Dennis, but we are jokingly calling him Gino and Evgeny because Evgeny. when I, mean, I don't think we, we told this joke, like where this originates from. But when the trade happened originally, when Mulgan got brought over to the Maple Leafs, we were and this is before the podcast. We were joking between us that someone must have told Kyle Dubas that Evgeny Malkin was available and he <laughs> thought he acquired Evgeny Malkin. But he showed up to work the next day and saw some clown named Mulgan, and that's like, how he is this up. a typo? Is this not a K? Like, no, that's right. Is this Cliff Fletcher and Jeff yeah. Finger? Yeah, right. Um, it's John Laurinaitis okay. getting the wrong one-legged wrestler. And then, what do you think? So, what do you think happens with with the D then? Because I mean, when Lilligren's healthy, hole is out. I think. I think. No, I think. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I disagree. I think when uh, Lilligren is healthy, I think Sandin's out. Yeah. No, but I mean, I big picture. Big picture. Do you think, like, Sandine can't come out and, the, the when Lilligren's healthy, they're going to be not cap compliant again. So something between now and Lilligren being healthy is going to have to give, right? So. I, I do think Hall is not long for this team. I think he's probably going to get dealt um, for something, whether it's, some kind of depth or maybe like a mid late round pick something like that doing that once the Lilligren comes back eventually kind of sets everything in in order properly um if not you actually gain a little bit more cap space 
Um, So I just think that the whole experiment has been very apparent. And I just think they're at this point biding their time. Because he's UFA at the end of the year. And you know you're not going to resign him. Right? Like he's UFA at the end of the year. Sandine, you've committed to now for two years. Same with Logan. For two years? Yeah, they signed the almost identical contract. Oh, it's so, exactly the same, yeah. So, you know, Hall, it's, it's got to be Hall or Engvall, right? Like, they're the two that make or the both. most sense. Or both, right? I mean, at, I mean, at this point, is are you really that upset if Engvall's gone and you drop Mulligan down to that third line and Robertson's your second line guy? I'm no, still convinced, though, there is no chance on earth they are getting rid of Engvall after signing him this year. I think it's just a really bad look for general manager to give someone a contract and then trade him in the same year. Kind of like they did with Nick Ritchie to Arizona. That's a different situation. Whereas <laughs> Ritchie was on because Ritchie was on a redemption contract where he, it was already pretty much assumed that Ritchie was out of the league. Yeah, and but Ang- okay, Angval is a guaranteed a, a guaranteed known asset. Like if you if you deal him to a team, they know what they're getting contract wise. They're not getting a guy that's a reclamation yeah. project but on I think, an expiring deal. I think what he's saying is it looks bad on Dubis for signing this guy and then flipping him immediately. Um, not really, because that's the nature of the sport, right? If anything, it would look bad if all of a sudden that next week he dealt Nylander after Nylander had said, oh, Dubas told me I'm not going to be traded during the lifetime of this contract. And and to be honest, Dubas doesn't have a contract himself. So yeah, whether it looks bad or not, like he's he's going to have to make the moves that make things work for this team, right? So... Like um, he can't, he can't be, yeah. Like he can't be sitting there being like, oh, I can't deal Engvall because it'll look bad. Buddy, you don't have a contract for the end of this year. You need to do everything you can to get this team past the second round at minimum, or there's serious questions on if that dude's going to be around. Or he <clears throat> needs to do moves this year that he can explain in a job interview next year. Yeah. Right. And so, then, yeah. Okay. So if keeping Engvall, which, yeah. potentially hurts the team, then teams will be like, you had your opportunity to get rid of him. Why I, didn't or, you? Or the, if, if whatever job he interviews for, if they hang it on a Pierre Engvall contract, then he's not interviewing Yeah, then the that's job. a team you don't want to work for. <laughs> no, but the, the, no, my point is, if, he, if it comes up that you are signing guys and trading them in the same year, there could be some teams that will shy away because they want to create a culture Security. of... Yeah. players will believe and trust in you. And I think but, he's done that, though, because look at the example of Aston Reese willing to sign here for less than he probably could have gotten on another team. I don't think the the one situation of signing Pierre Engvall and dealing him is going to ignore all the good credit that other players can speak to from Kyle Dubas in the organization. Yeah, and I think to, in some degree, Engvall probably... I mean, you have to be pretty dumb to sit on this team, look at your dollars and be like, hmm, am I a prime candidate to either stay or go? Like if you're Justin Hall and you're Engvall, media aside, you're looking around and going like, it's the same as, as you know, even when there's like layoffs at work or whatever, right? You <clears> look <throat> around and you go, well, they're not getting rid of Bunting, Matthews and Marner and they're not going to get rid of John Tavares. They're not going to get, you know, as much as I've thrown potential there at this point because they've made it work. They're not getting rid of William Nylander anytime soon unless it's massive return. Then you're like, okay, they just signed Yarncroc to four years. So that is a commitment. Kerfoot, albeit 
again, similar situation, a lot more versatile than Engvall, right? And then you've got the cheap guys that can slot in, the comps, Abe Kubel, Aston Reese, Mulgans, Robertsons. So that leaves him. And then you go through the defense, same thing. Riley's here forever. Brody's a staple as the second pair. Muzzin, well, you might move. I was just going to say, you're getting to someone who I think makes more sense than anybody. Right, but I think also Muzzin brings the odd man out. He does bring something to the table that the team will lack if he leaves. And then you have the two. You have Gio who just signed for two years, and then you have at a, at a very team friendly contract. And then you have the two young guys that are just committed for two years, restricted free agents. So it leaves again. Just doing the math, it leaves Hall and Engvall. So if you're if you're one of those two guys and you can't do that quick math we just did in forty five seconds. You're a bonehead. Like, and it's nothing okay. against them personally. It's just the way the situation shakes down. And, okay, so what's also interesting, and, okay, so if I was a betting man, I would say the most likely person to be dealt would be Hall first, then Muzzin, then Engvall, is my, is the that's, way I look at it. But There's no market for Muzzin. I mean, I'm sure you could find someone to take Jake Muzzin. Anyways, regardless. Chicago or Arizona. But you probably have to pay. Most interestingly, and this doesn't help my point, but I do want to present it because it, it is worth noting. Hall modified no trade. Muzzin, no trade. Yep. Angval can go. Yeah, there you go. So that's also something to be aware of, of the no trade clauses that are some of these guys have. Uh, Muzzin has a full no trade. Brody, or excuse me, not Brody. Uh, Hall has a modified no trade. I don't know the exact details. He has a ten team list. There you go. And Actually, I just Muzzin it can also do a ten team list, but that's starting uh, July of next year. So right. it's a full no trade until July of next year. I just think that in in sports, as much as you want to whether it's you want to call it sentimentality or you know kind of optics of being like well they just signed him you don't want to trade him at the same time is nobody gives a shit because you're graded on results and if you're holding on to a guy to be like optically doesn't look good that could prevent you from a positive result whether it's cap relief whether it's getting better assets in return whether it's creating flexibility i think more teams would question that than they would of being like well you just signed this guy and dealt him also keep in mind the situation they found think- themselves in with with pierre engvall in the offseason had they not figured it out then he would have been a ufa right yeah, this is exactly. Where, I don't know if he's UFA or RFA, but um, but it's asset exactly You sign him you. so like, that if yeah, you sign him so that if you have to move him, he becomes a tradable asset. You can get a something, known quantity, something something in return, right? Like if if they lost him for nothing, that's no bueno. So at least you know, like maybe the 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 chatter that guys like Friedman and Sarah, all these guys, and Chris Johnson are talking about, where it's you know the Leafs are looking for flexibility. They're looking. Now that the season started, there's the other thing too, right? Wait for all the guys to clear waivers, right? And whoever clears waivers, you trade for that guy. They can be sent up and down throughout the season as many times as they want because they've cleared. 
So you look at, like think about a guy like Will Butcher, right? Cleared waivers. What if it's an angle for Will Butcher and they send him to the minors and they can call him up and down as much as they want? Okay, okay. So two things. One, Not Will Butcher. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, I know what you mean. I mean, I don't want a Will Butcher on this team unless he goes by Billy Butcher, and then I'm fine with <laughs> it. Um. To answer your question, uh, Angval was an RFA when he signed this uh, one-year contract. Right. So, um, but uh, my so my question is though. But if they walked, he he was going to go to arbitration. So if he, if they had walked from the ARB number, he would have been UFA. Right. So my question is then: Do you think the Leafs right now would be in a better position if they had not signed Pierre Engvall at all? Let him walk. You save yourself the 2.25, and then, I don't know, take your pick. Is it Robertson? Is it Steves? Is it uh, Wayne Simmons? Like, that just slides right into that roster spot on the third line. No, like, Are they a better team now with Angval at 2.25 than they would be if Wayne Simmons was in that exact same spot for $900,000? They could be because Angval could turn into two picks, a flexible defenseman or whatever, and then that guy slides into that spot anyway. And that's what I was getting at. Like you, you take the guy, and then you have the assets to play with, as opposed to, you know. Well, also, I, I also do want to say this. You do, and I know I've kind of laid on this point of yours, Dustin, a few times, and it just kind of brings to the argument a little bit. As much as we can say optically it doesn't look good, we also don't know that as conversations that went with Engvall when they signed him to say, hey, look. Obviously, the position we're in, there's a lot of pressure. You know, maybe guys, you know, there's going to be more competition for spots. If guys aren't performing and you're not the big four or five, then people are going to get moved, shifted around, maybe have to sit. If it gets to that point, we will look to see if we can move you to a team that you will be playing on consistently. You know, that if it gets to a point in time where maybe your performance dips and Keith wants to put someone else in and, you know, you're kind of don't want to be sitting that you'd rather be moved, then we'll do everything we can to put in your position to a team that you would be playing more on. And what if the guy if, wanted security, he could have negotiated a no move contract or a no trade. Right. So, well, now I'm now the wheels are spinning. So here's what I'm thinking. This is this is what I think happened here. <laughs> They're going to go to arbitration. And rightfully so, Pierre Engvall probably deserved $1.5 million. And I remember when the signing happened, all three of us were like, what are they doing giving Pierre Engvall 2.25? How did this guy get a raise? He wasn't like, he was fine. Yeah, but he point, didn't, like, he I could have believed 1.8. I could have believed 1.9. Right. I wonder. Now I wonder if they had said to him, look, we're probably going to trade you. We'll give you an extra, you know. So you're making bank five hundred thousand dollars to take a no trade in your contract. Yeah, and like so this way you gain a little extra yeah. money, but be aware that you're going to be traded at some point. This and year. wherever you go, at least we're doing you a solid by make, making you bank in your contract. Yeah. yeah, and like we, I think Dubis has shown time and time again that he does everything in his power to do right by the players. Yeah, you know which. Is clear by how they're handling Wayne Simmons. You know, so, kind of said, hey, you know, your position on this team is probably not going to be there. 
where would you like to go? And if we can facilitate a move to a team where you will be playing on the third or fourth line consistently, we will make it happen regardless of the return. Because it's already come out to say returns not the question, just come to us with something or whatever, which means which says to me probably in the next two, three weeks, it's gonna be a future considerations deal. So based on last year's results, right? What would you guys say the three things are the keys to success for the Maple Leafs this year? And I'm not talking about regular season because, like, whatever. Everyone models people. Everyone's still picking them top three in the league. They're saying President's Trophy candidates. Which is fair. I don't give a fuck about President's Trophy. Good enough for that. No one gives a shit until playoffs. I'm not getting a President's Trophy poster on my door. So... Based on what happened last year, what do you think the three things, and and did they address them, or how do you think they're going to address them? Average goaltending, at minimum, is all they need. Whether it's these two dudes are serviceable enough to be at or near the top 20 in the league of combined goals against the average in Samsonov and Murray, that's all they need. They don't need top 10 goaltending. They don't need that. They just need guys to make the right save at the right time and to give them average tending. That's it. I think they did address it with these two guys. You know, I obviously was very skeptical coming into this, but seeing how they've played so far and yes, it has only been preseason, but I mean, we have nothing else to go on. I, I think that the potential is there for them to be able to do that. So the interesting um, thing you said on that point too is that we, it is preseason. We have nothing else to go on. But you know who else has nothing else to go on? These two goaltenders, right? They have nothing else to go on in a Leafs uniform other than this preseason. And I got to say, and Dustin, I don't know how many of the games, like you were there for one of them or how many of what, like these two guys have been pretty good in preseason. Don't you like? Uh, Murray's been spectacular in preseason. Uh, Sam Sonov, not so much. I, I saw the stats earlier this today, but... I think it was like Murray was like a 960 save percentage throughout the uh, preseason. And Samsonov, I think it was like a 911 or something. But uh, so, yeah, if you combine the two of them, that's an above average goaltender. Right. But have you, do you so, feel more confident in Murray? Like, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is these are building blocks for confidence, right? Like, you got to think that. I also think we have to look at it from two ends of the spectrum. We have to look at it as what Murray has done in the past and then also understand that. Realistically, any goalie in Ottawa last year or the last two years probably would not, one, be in a good mental state, and two, have good numbers. Like, let's let's be real here. He's in a much better situation structurally here and resources available, whether that's coaching, whether that's support, whether that that's the team around him. Infinitely better situation than he was in Ottawa. So you would expect that that 896 is probably going to settle in and around a 9.15. Which it was before those really shitty games last year. Like, he was. And listen, everyone only remembers your most recent performances. Leafs well, included. JD, the old JD line. What? Oh, you say, know, yeah. yeah, what? What? You, what is it? You know, you can build a thousand bridges and never be known as a bridge builder. Meet one pile of shit and forever be known as a shit eater. Yeah, so... Right. So that's the thing is this guy, we forget one, two cups and literally stole a net from one of the greatest goalies of our generation. Yeah. Right. So 
Okay, so it's that's there. one. I think we all agree one of the three is goaltending. And we think okay. that they're at least okay right now, right? Would we all agree that yeah. they're, they're okay going to the season? I think Dustin's meditating on it. Um, I have a different take to this answer. I'll let you guys continue. But yes, I would agree that I think their goaltending is fine. Okay, but would you agree that that's one of the threes? Like one of the three? Well, I was going to say... If you were asking me directly, what do you think the yeah. three things are that they need to change? I or don't need think to go anything. right. Or need to go right. I don't like. I I think they were a good team last year, and they ran into a hot team in the playoffs, and they took them to seven games, and they fucking had them. They were right there, and it was, it just fell apart in the worst way in like the third period of that game, and the team that they ended up losing to went all the way. And I think had, you know, a puck bounced a different way in, in one particular situation, the Maple Leafs would have been that team in the cup final. And that's not coming from just like a homer or whatever. I'm saying this team is good. Like, the, like Austin Matthews is the best goal scorer in the league. Their defense, everyone wants to rip on the Maple Leafs defense, but between Riley and Muzzin and Brody and now Geo, they are good. Well, they had They're, a top five PK last year too. Yeah, I'm not, I, don't think the defense, I don't think the defense is bad by any means. I think there's, again, so in the spirit of things that could go right or elements missing, again, I thought, like, I kind of agree with Maddie. I think the goaltending about the, the timely save at the right time, um, I think is custom of every Stanley Cup winning team is the the goaltender who, who makes that one save at the right time. And I guess you can say that's, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you if you obviously if that save doesn't happen chances are you don't win right like so obviously the winners have that but at the same time I, the other thing i would have said was you know and this is something i heard that sheldon keith was was screaming during one of the early practices <laughs> physical physicality and i think they've actually addressed that with the, the right kind of physicality too again i was never talking about uh, two lines of colt nors Right, like, <laughs> just, just six just headbangers, just yeah, just Brett Ritchie, Colt Nor, uh, fucking Nick Delore, Ryan Reeves, Ryan Reeves, yeah. I was never. They they just need guys who can crash, bang, first on pucks, make Separate. plays hard, grind, yeah, you know. And I think they've done that fourth line, like we've talked about, might be the most painful. And I I don't mean painful in. Like, ow, my ass hurts. I mean, painful is like, I don't know if I want to go out there and do that again. <laughs> don't, don't, hey, don't be nasty. All right. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Manolo. Uh, but Manolo, <laughs> the, uh, the goat, uh, it's, it's going to be painful. Like there will, there will be guys, even when the, those guys can play against other teams, top lines. And that's, yeah. that's something that I don't think they've had in a long time is a, is a line deep in the lineup that can play against the other team's fourth line and, and drive you nuts up here in your head. And I think that's what's going to happen with those guys as long as they stay healthy. So I think that's I'll an element. Up. You look at playoff teams. What's the first thing you notice in the first round, Maddie? We talk about this every year. Teams are just energy, throwing each other. like They're yeah. throwing caution to the wind at the boards. boards. Like, and these guys will do that. And I, I'm, I'm well, stoked to see that. The thing is, is, not only can they drive you nuts, but they can keep up. Like these aren't guys that are plugs that are lugging their feet out there. These are typically guys that are first in the corner, first on a puck, first on top of guys, you know, in those situations. Um, so 
this, like I said, that's an element this team hasn't had, like a legitimate fourth line to put into those situations to be like, hey, we're up two to one, shut it down for this last minute, right? Um, but they're not even and, a fourth, like they're a fourth line that could be a third line. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kampf was your third line last year. And, you know, I will be genuinely shocked if the at the end of the year, their D zone starts is below 85%. Yeah. I will be legitimately shocked if they aren't 85 or north of that for D zone starts of the year, because you know, if there's a save and you see New York's top line or Tampa's top line or Boston's top line, you see those guys come out after, you know, a whistle of like, you know, a, you know, puck goes into the crowd or goalie makes a stop. You know those are the first oh, guys dude, over the board. Icings, icings. These guys are gonna murder you on icings because you're gonna be tired. They're gonna throw these guys out there, and they're just gonna take away space. And like, they're not because they're big, but because, like you said, they're gonna be in your hands and they're gonna be on you all the time, and you will not have space to breathe out there. So, I guess if I were to say I agree, goaltending and team toughness. I think they've addressed some of the elements. For me, the last one would be, I still don't think they have like a cop on defense and I would love for them to have a true, you know, step away from my goalie type defender back there, which I don't think they have yet. Which those guys are typically the guys though that you get at the deadline. Those aren't off season signings or whatever. That is a, you're getting tight to the playoffs. You need one of those guys, teams that aren't making the playoffs or shipping those guys up for fifth round picks. Yeah. So, that one I'm not worried about until then. Also, too, maybe there's a guy on the Marlies that can fulfill that position. I'm also, too, and Dustin brought this up last week, or I think at some point, we also have to remember, come March, April, who's most likely coming to this team is Matthew yeah. Knees. So they're going to have to figure that out, too. Granted, that's going to be right near the trade deadline and i'm sure they'll know well ahead of time what his intentions are at that moment so they'll probably prep but as much as the bunting matthews marner line worked last year man don't you just salivate at potentially seeing matthew nyes at some point this year playing with matthews and marner you know a guy that is as big as him with that much skill like, oh, but they, that's the thing is Dustin said is there's no real gap on this team in the season. There's no there's no hole. I mean, there's some things you wish you'd be like, hey, I wish this was a little better. I wish we had a little bit more of this. You're not hoping for more offense. You know, this team's going to be top five minimum in offense. Your defense is going to be average, if not slightly above average. So you're good with that. I mean, again, and it's. At this point, no one gives a shit. Like, even if even if they're second in in the Atlantic and they're top, you know, five in the Eastern Conference, no one cares. And all, all anyone cares about with this team is April, and seeing if Matthews can put up north of sixty five. Which <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, man. I it's watching some of these guys in preseason. Melander looks possessed. It looks like he saw God in the off season, and. He looks like he's toying with people out there. Again, it's preseason, but 
I've never seen this dude look this motivated. And like, I'm here for it. It looks like it, I, I genuinely think he wants to put up 50 goals this year. Well, we'll have to see how the season develops. And as you're, we're saying, like a lot of this is, you know, just set dressing until the playoffs start. And then we'll, we'll see what this team really has come April. But someone who w- won't be there, at least for the opening night, is Wayne Simmons. And uh, Simmer, Simmer has been a solid role player for this team for a couple of years now. He's had a hell of an NHL career. I think everyone loves Wayne Simmons. Um, except one particular... Actually, I shouldn't say this particular uh, fraud of a journalist doesn't like Wayne Simmons. I don't know if that's true or not. But Wayne Simmons took to Twitter a couple days ago. And he said, just a quick message to the hockey world. I usually don't have time for this, but tonight I do. I really don't appreciate what you're trying to do. And then he put this fraud of a journalist in brackets. Your article was asinine and in no way reflects the real plight of my of myself, Akeem and other players of color go through. And he went on. So basically what ended up happening here, this uh, Jay Brown of a journalist said something really stupid in one of the articles uh, that he writes for his trash of a publication that he works for. And what he essentially said was that how come if, if we're talking about race in hockey, how come Wayne Simmons played, you know, 12 seasons and never had a problem, but you know, Akeem Alou got bounced around like crazy. It's like, it's, it is a super cringe thing to say, just to say offhand, first of all, but then to publish it in, you know, regardless of how trash the publication is to publish it in general, even as a tweet is kind of suspect to begin with. Now this guy has, this guy being the, uh, the uh, phony journalist that I don't really want to mention his name. This guy has been doing this for years and consistently has been a joke of Toronto sports media. And so much. So I haven't, yeah, I haven't blocked on Twitter. Like, so when this all happened, I was like, what did he say? Like what? So thankfully uh, people were able to uh, screen cap it for me, but here's the thing guys. Um, What do we got to do to get rid of this guy? How do we collectively as society just like throw this man away and never like ignore? So like that, I guess part of the reason why I'm addressing it the way I am is that I don't even want to say his name. I don't want to say the publication he works for. I don't want to give him attention in any way. My question more is how do we just stop with this guy? The problem is this fucking shithead writes this shit and then everyone gets all up in arms and then reads the article and that gets clicks. He's he's at this point. I don't not. I don't honestly know if he genuinely believes the shit he writes or if he's just clickbaiting, you know, and knows that he can get away with it. The fact is, is though, is I don't know if that's worse. Do you know what I mean? Like, if he genuinely believed what he wrote, at least the dude has some conviction, and he's writing something that he may believe, whether we agree with it or not. But at the same time, if you don't really believe it and you're trying to pull this shit out of your ass to get clicks in the kind of social atmosphere that we're currently in, you might be a bigger POS than someone who actually believes that shit. Honestly, I just... I I, I have to be very careful because I'm a genuinely angry person at people like this. And... 
I just, and that's the thing is the only way to make this guy disappear into the ether is for people just to not bring his shit up or click his shit, not give him the Twitter attention, not give the clicks to articles. The problem is though, is the shit that this dude says is so egregious at times that it's like, if you don't call it out, he thinks it's good that, you know, people are like, see, they agree with what I say. And then when you do, He's like, well, I'm getting the clicks and the attention, and that's what my publication wants. Well, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Because, like, some people have said, when did the Leafs revoke his press pass? Well, then he's a martyr, right? Like, it's it's the Trump problem, ironically. So, like, I thought of that, too, and I'll let you finish your point, but I, what I want to say is that, like, I don't know if he still has a press pass. Like, they can still, like, revoke your press pass, but it doesn't stop you from writing your article. Like, you don't need to be in the building. No, but I think it's it's an adequate slap in the face to say you're not welcome here anymore. But that martyrs him against all the people who support and read that rag. My guess is it's going to be a lot of people talking about freedom of speech. So um, you don't you end up with this, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, which was the Trump issue, right? Like, how do you how do you write a line somebody who just does it doesn't care about the consequences of what they say or, or when they they say they're right no matter what you say like you can't you can't combat that and i think even to poke holes in this man's argument in his article like just because wayne simmons made it through the system doesn't mean that akeem aliu listen if he didn't make it based on merit totally cool that doesn't change what he experienced right like that, that at all like not 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 in the least and that's not to say that wayne didn't experience it through his career and that's not to oh, say he that he did. He had the, he had the shit thrown on thrown at him on the ice during yeah the bananas they're the banana out. and shit like yeah. the dude has gone through it not maybe organizationally which I'm sure he did at some point somewhere whether it's in junior or whatever but in the realm of hockey he has right yeah but like I'm... the phrase it the way he did in the article was like someone coming out and saying hey I was sexually assaulted and then him saying well I know a woman and she was never sexually assaulted. Or I yeah, maybe it's maybe she was, you're the problem. And she was sexually like, wait, assaulted, what? and she still became a doctor. Like that, those what? Like that, those things don't equate, right? And what's funny be, is, I listen, think it's like a false equivalency that. Right, and it's, it's what's funny is like, listen, this is a white Jewish dude talking about the life of a black dude. Like I don't, I don't know that you're entirely the authority on anybody else's life, let alone those kinds of experiences. Not to mention, listen, buddy. Like, your own people struggle too and still continue to struggle with things like anti-Semitism and things like that. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm saying be a little more self-aware that your own people, like, struggle with something similar. Do you know what I mean? Especially today, especially in the world landscape, like Maddie indicated. So to, right, to you go should have some sort of empathy built into you based on your your life experiences. Yeah, exactly. Like to just be understanding that, hey man, shit's fucking tough. Unless, d- dude, unless you're a fucking hetero white male, and even then, you know what? It's probably tough because somewhere somebody hates you too, because of there's everybody's on all sides of the spectrum right now, and everyone's gone to their corners, right? So, listen, and I'm not saying that makes these people right or whatever. It's just everybody's struggling because everybody fucking hates each other. So like you like yeah. people need to take a step back and be like, what's really happening as opposed to like 
making weird statements like he made like understand Hon honestly it should have if you really want to frame your argument or article in in a way to something like that you would say that fortunately someone like wayne simmons has had you know the ability to overcome not had the ability or had not has had a rough of a road as some other players but there's still work to be done because players like Akima Lu still struggle or people in the situation of Akima Lu still struggle because of the boundaries and closed-mindedness and the ignorance of people out there. That would have been fine, and no one probably would have batted an eye yeah, an article like that. But it's framed as, essentially, he's saying there is no such thing as racism in hockey. Yeah, the hetero white Jewish dude can't say it's not about race. Yeah, because, like, yeah, he's the authority. <laughs> Like right, fuck off! Right. Like the Not more the we talk about this dude, I just I I really just want to punch him in the fucking face. Let let the dude who experienced it explain his experience. And you know yeah. what? Listen, the man might be right. The man might the, like Aliu may have not made it. May have not made it. Okay, based on merit, that could be a hundred percent the truth. That doesn't change that he probably encountered a shit ton of racism, racism, and it that doesn't. That's still not not good. Still not kosher, well, Steve. Maybe he, maybe he didn't. Maybe the merit is true, but also I would say maybe he didn't get the same opportunities. Entirely possible. These all these right? things so, can be true. Yeah. Like you could say didn't make it on merit, but maybe he only had one chance to show. Where some of these other players, it doesn't make the racism less a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just, I, I don't know, man. At some point, it's just like, how do, he, whether Simmons is on this team or not going forward, you know, whether he gets dealt or maybe he has a, you know, an epiphany and the dude has a renaissance and gets into a game and throws up a hat trick and then just ends up having another 25 goal season. Who knows? At what point do the players on the, this team or Toronto sports in general just anytime this fuck asks a question, just say, we're not answering anything you say. Next person. Because the one thing is, and we've seen this through other people, when shit happens, other media people step in and be like, hey, guys, this person, this girl, whatever, like, chill. No one comes to this dude's defense. Yeah. No one. Like, I don't hear this dude on TSN radio anymore. I don't see this dude on any kind of station. I feel like it's one of those things where it's low key been, you know, put in the back burner of all these things and they just accept because he's part of the, I hate to say that he's part of the fraternity of sports media, but he is unfortunately, but no one comes to this fuck's defense. Listen, the next time I shit my pants, I will wipe my ass with this man's article. All right. So, yeah, and I, I kind of curious. I know we've gone on, and I really want to know Dustin's thoughts on this because, like, we've gone on our tangents, and I know he's probably got a lot of thoughts on this. It's it's a slippery slope because a part of me wants to say, just fuck this guy, remove his. I don't know if he even has credentials at Scotiabank Arena anymore. If he does, I feel like they should just take it away and like just remove the problem altogether. But here's also the flip side of that. How many times have we seen a Donald Trump interview 
where someone from you know the the left media has a question and he immediately like just discredits everything they say the second they open their mouth say oh look it's a cnn person let's not listen to this idiot and that's kind of what we would be doing to this cunt well that's why as soon as he opens his mouth this piece of shit we would say no you're a piece of shit stop stop talking because we don't want to answer your question we don't want to hear your voice all of which being true in that we don't want to hear his voice, we don't care about his question, we don't respect his publication, and we don't respect him as a journalist or as a human being. But if you do that, then you're no better than Donald Trump. And not necessarily Donald Trump specifically, but like the way he would handle media availability. Right. Like you're you're doing the exact same thing, but with a different side of it. And that's what I was saying. Like you, you doing it almost martyrs him, right? To the to to a certain, especially a certain crowd, right? So I think you almost have to let it go and then address it as as it comes. And just, I think similar to what Matthews did last year or the year before. Just, when I'm not, I'm not the first question, it. he was just like, look, not impressed with your shit that you wrote. I'm paraphrasing. You know, I think it was really gully of what you did. Now answering your question in very minimal response. Or don't. Right. Say uh, no comment. Next. Like you can, there's a classy way just to, sh- to shut him out. Well, right? no, like, like I said, I, I think though, like I said, what Matthews had said is perfect way to do it you call the prick out for the <laughs> shit that he you, writes you imagine every time he asks a question you're a prick uh and <laughs> like just yeah you're a prick. so you're you're a racist fuck and yeah i think we had a great game tonight good team win okay yeah. next question <laughs> do you know what i mean but i think you can go and do that like if guys are like i don't respect you i'll answer the question because that's my job yeah Right. And I think you embarrass him. I think you show shed light on how this dude is. But at the same time, you don't, as you say, martyr him by not answering his questions or cutting him off completely. Right. Right. You know, where, and then you avoid the Trump problem, like Dustin had said, by, you know, completely discrediting him. You're not. You're just, you're answering his question, you're answering it honestly. But you're also saying, I don't respect you. And then just fly off the handle. That's what I would do. But again, I'm... It's tough because I've been in those situations where you are in the room asking questions to a, a player or a coach or whatever. And very rarely does everyone ask a question. You kind of have like, three or four people will throw in a question and then you're like, they're, they're sped off and like the next person comes in. So when this person is asking a question, if it might be a valid question and like the, the value that you're providing that answer is not for the benefit of the person asking the question. It's for the benefit of everyone in the room. Everyone has their microphones like all or their audio recording devices set up to the mixer that goes from that one microphone goes into your audio it's source material for everybody it's it's yes yeah, used for everyone so like there'll be a reporter or in this case a fraud of a reporter a jabroni reporter who's not a real reporter but in in you know what normally happens a real reporter will ask a question and everyone receives the answer and everyone uses that audio for whatever they do in their day job so again like it's difficult to just 
shut out his questions because it may be a valid question. Um, but I agree with you, Maddie, that maybe there is room for what Austin Matthews did where it's you call him out specifically of what he did. You, know, you can't be like, uh, okay, question from you. Yeah, you're a piece of shit, but I'll answer your question. <laughs> it might be more valuable yeah, if listen, you say something. I don't appreciate like, what you said about Akeem Aliu and you know Wayne and Simmons. Simmer. Like, uh, don't doesn't agree with it, and I just want to make that clear. Okay, like you know what I mean. Like, there's a classy yes, way to do something. It. Exactly, something like, "Hey, I, I saw what you wrote the other day. I, I think you have your facts completely wrong. I, I think you are misguided in your opinions. I, I, if you want to talk further about it, we can do that. But uh, to answer your question, this, yeah. and I, if you consistently do stuff like that, I, maybe he gets the hint, maybe not. But I think. There is well, I think a if high you directly road to take here. And... If you discredit his work over and over in that in that environment, yeah, I think I think it's almost worse. So it could be, um, but you know, something certainly has gotten worse in the world of hockey, and that would be the situation with Hockey Canada. Um, on this very program last week, we talked about the statement that had come out from Hockey Canada. And the statement was from Andrea Skinner, who is the interim, or who was the interim board chair for Hockey Canada. The question was posed about, you know, whether they should remove the, you know, the upper brass of Hockey Canada, the specifically CEO uh, Scott Smith and the rest of the leadership group. And Andrea's response was, and we read the full thing last week. If you want to go back to last week, we did a whole breakdown of this whole situation. But basically, she had, you know, said that, you know, I, I don't think anyone could do this job without us. Like, what's going to happen to all these boys and girls if, you know, these particular leaders aren't involved in Hockey Canada anymore? Like, God forbid, clutching their, you know, their their handbags and their, their <laughs> pearls and like, oh, no, God forbid, we're got rid of. No one else can possibly get rid of us. And by handbag and pearls, I meant the CEO, Scott Smith, not necessarily Andrea specifically. <laughs> the next day, <laughs> the literal next day, shit hit the fan. Like, we were joking about, maybe not joking is the right word. We were, like, almost taken aback of, like, the audacity of these people to Arrogance. think that they are so fucking great uh -huh. that... They can, no one else could possibly run this organization the, other than them. Impossible. There's no way this could possibly be done without them. And, I mean, the reasons why people are asking for them to be removed because there has now been a number of sexual assault cover-ups by this organization. At least two that we're aware and, of. I mean, and misappropriation and of funds related to. Like, yeah, misappropriation of funds... Funds that are also public money, okay? The money that comes from the government that we uh, pay into these tax dollars. Yeah. Uh, literally the next day, uh, Hockey Quebec said they're not paying their fees. Uh, Ontario Hockey Federation said they are not paying their $3 million uh, participation fees. This is $3. I don't know if that's $3 or $3 million. Anyways, <laughs> Ontario Hockey Federation is not paying their fees. Uh, Hockey Nova Scotia said it on October 7th. October 8th, Hockey Newfoundland and Hockey New Brunswick said they're not paying shit either. Uh, BC Hockey on October 5th actually said they're not paying shit either. Basically, every single uh, provincial hockey 
uh, federation that pays into Hockey Canada to be governed by Hockey Canada is saying, yeah, we're not giving you money anymore. Also, shout out to cbc.ca for putting all this together in a very nice uh, webpage for me. I appreciate it. In addition to that, this is where stuff really started getting bad for Hockey Canada, where all their sponsors are starting to pull out. To this day, on this day of uh, Thanksgiving, May, uh, May. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Monday, October the 10th, uh, Nike has pulled out. Scotia, okay, hold on. By, by pulled out, I mean sponsorship has been paused or reduced. Nike, Scotiabank, Telus, Chevrolet, Tim Hortons, Esso, The Keg, I didn't know they were one, Swish LA, PepsiCo, and I don't know what BDO is, but they have their sponsorship is paused or reduced. Sobeys and Canadian Tire, and shout out to Sobeys and Canadian Tire, who said, fuck these guys entirely. We are pulling out. We're not pausing our sponsorship. We're not saying, oh, we'll put money back in when something. Like, no, we're out. We're done. No, thank you. Uh, only still hanging on is like BFL Canada and Hancock Tire. Like all these smaller ones are still hanging on. I wonder if they just hadn't got the memo yet that everyone else is pulling out. But all their major sponsors, like, I mean, we're talking Nike, Scotiabank, Telus, Chevrolet, yeah. Canadian Tire. Tim Hortons. Like, Tim Hortons. The big boys are all yeah. gone. Like the cool and kids. What, what was also interesting was even the prime minister was talking about this. Our boy JT was saying... If we have to, like, if basically saying if they're not going to go, if they're not going to make some changes at the top, we can just make a new, <laughs> a new governing body called yeah. Canada Hockey and just replace them entirely. Yeah. yeah. So, by the way, BDO is an accounting, tax, financial mm. firm. Like, yeah, I wonder why firm. they're still there. <laughs> what? I wonder why they're still there. No, that's BFL. He's saying BDO pulled out. Um, oh. Yeah. I so I actually had this conversation with my dad the other day and so he kind of has that parental perspective. You know, he was like I know he coached Jimmy and me a lot growing up, mostly me. He was mostly my coach for like a big stretch of it. Um but his whole thing is like which I'm sure is echoing what a lot of parents are feeling is so where the hell is my money going? Right, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these families. It was not cheap, and this was back before inflation, before you know it became way more of a corporation than it is now. So this is about fifteen, what Jim, maybe twenty years ago. At this point, like my dad sunk money into Hockey Canada for us to play, and then when you start having questions, especially being like. So how much of my money went to, you know, the maintenance of the rinks and the ability for referees and, you know, to have the scorekeepers and schedules education. and all these teams. So how much a percentage of portion of his money went into some of these funds that they set up for to cover up or pay off sexual assault? Mm -hmm. You know well, what I mean? And so he's like, now I'm pissed. And, you know, obviously not just from the financial aspect, but the fact that this shit existed and it's took this long to come out. It's just, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing class action lawsuits, to be honest. I, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, like I think, I think Trudeau has it right. Like it, it, it needs to start over. 
I said this last week. They need to burn it. Yep. And they need to it's gotta be a new logo. It's gotta be everything. Like everything has to change. And I, I keep saying, I don't know if he wants the job, but I, I truly believe Sheldon Kennedy would be a hell of a person either in the management or on the board. Um you know, um and I, I don't think I can speak for anybody else because I don't know anymore. You know what I mean? Like what's happened is is I think what Trudeau's been trying to say for everybody is people have lost their trust in Hockey Canada. And I can say that I agree with that. I have lost my trust in Hockey Canada. When I hear, and it's unfortunate because there are probably good people that I question now. You know, I sit here and say, who would be good in that position? I say Sheldon Kennedy because of all the things he's experienced and the, the legwork he's done for his cause, I think would be a great asset to Hockey Canada. Outside of that, I don't know if any name I speak of is is going to be a good person. I don't know anymore. That sucks, man. That sucks that I, you know. Like an organization we were brought up through. I look at some of these heroes I watched. Are they just as guilty from years previous? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I have, I know nothing. I, I, there's, I have zero faith and trust in this organization. And that sucks. It's and really not fair. I should... I'll- I should also mention that uh, interim chair Andrea Skinner has stepped down. Good, um, she sucks. The it also like maybe it's just the way I'm reading it. So I'll read the statement. If, if, I, I wonder if you're taking it the same way I am. Like she's playing a victim here. It sounds very condescending. Where the statement says, "Upon reflection, it is clear to me from recent events that it is no it no longer makes sense for me to continue to volunteer my time as interim chair or as a director of the organization. Just the way it said, like volunteer for my me time. to continue I'm doing to this volunteer my time. Goodness of my heart, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't have just said, um, you know what? I regret the statement I made last week. On, upon further reflection, I think it's best for all parties that I step down and move forward with the new leadership. Like and there's I'm so many, sure. like, yeah, I'm not even PR. I just made a better statement that she just, that she mm. made it there. Like that, it seems considering very current, like considering mm. the current landscape of hockey Canada, uh, it is, uh, with sadness and regret that I stepped down from my position for the better interest of the organization moving forward. And like, or not the better interest, not even the better interest of the organization that just leave that part out so, just, so the organization in the best interest forward. of all parties involved that I stepped down, nah. blah, blah, blah. Like it's um, just—it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's—it's it's fucking. This is this is fucking clown shoes. Is what it is. It, it's. Like, I was gonna say it's comical at this point of how bad this has been. Um, like this and future. I read something the other day where, I don't know if it was, like a rep from Nike who was talking to some like one of the hockey media guys, and it was through Twitter. So like I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact. So I apologize. But essentially, they had said. Usually when shit like this happens and you start having your sponsors pull out or whatever, it's a full clean house. Like organizations and people top to bottom say, you're all gone. We're reassessing. New people are coming in, overhauling right away. They said that the fact that Hockey Canada has gotten their backup so much and just held on to this is is baffling. It means it's worse. It means there's so much there that that cannot be found out. that's, That's the only reason. These guys are guarding the a treasure chest full of well, I, you know, I'm not gonna say a Pandora's box full of the worst I'm possible wonder, shit. 
Yeah, I, I, like at this point, it makes me think that beyond everything that's been covered up, that there's some serious legal risk in terms of people facing some serious jail time from that top to bottom that they're trying to protect at all costs. Like that's what it says to me is that there's some serious, you know, legal issue beyond just the paying off of sexual assaults or covering up of, you know, sexual assaults that there's some real deep skeletons in the closet of some of these higher ups. And that's why they're fighting so hard to stay in this position because they know the second they don't have the protection of the resources of hockey Canada with them, they are fucked. I think we should need to give this new version of hockey Canada, whether it's Canada hockey or whatever, just give it to Haley Wickenheiser and everything will be fine. Can you imagine, could you imagine a organization led by someone like Haley Wickenheiser, Sheldon Kennedy, um, you know, to, to name a couple people, Angela James, who coached me in college and told me if I ever missed a defensive assignment again, she'd bench me and it scared the shit out of me. Um, like people like that, you know, people who've been around and suffered from some of the real dark negativity of what hockey has and can really bring fresh, positive perspective and leadership to the organization as a whole. I think that's the only way you could save hockey Canada as it currently exists is by having people like that in there. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I think they'd be the right people for the job too, especially Wickenheiser, who's like the oh, senior yeah. director of player development right now for you know the Toronto Maple Leafs. So like, it's good, Anyways. smart people who not only played through the organization coming up, but are just good, smart people. Yes, yeah. ideally, that's <laughs> that's best case scenario, <laughs> right? Like um, it's that simple. We will move into some more happy uh, topics, but, but first, I want to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Now Your Treasures. Now Your Treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Sourced from galleries in the US and UK, which include artists from all over the world. Visit Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. N-O-U-N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S.ca or .com. Now Your Treasures. Send them a DM on Instagram, 43.6, to receive 43% off. Now, gentlemen. The NFL Week 5 has come and gone. Actually, uh, there's a game happening right now, but I don't care because my fancy football team has already lost this week. However, Week 6 is upon us, and we do need to make some picks because if you were listening last week and you made a parlay with all three picks that we suggested last week, you would not have won because I picked the Packers over the Giants, and that obviously did not happen. I'm going to blame the time zone change. I'm going to blame the currency change. I'm going to blame... Uh, uh, I don't know what else to blame. That was a, that was a brutal uh, loss for the Packers. But nevertheless, both James and Maddie were correct. James picked the Niners over the Panthers, which paid. And Maddie picked the Vikings over the Bears, which paid. So what we're learning so far, if you just do a two-game parlay and don't include my <laughs> pick, you might be doing okay. So going into week six, my pick 
is going to be the LA Rams over the Panthers who just fired their head coach. I feel like the Panthers are in shambles right now. The Rams are fine. I think it should be a slam dunk pick for the Rams to take down the Panthers. James, your pick. Uh, it's a tough week. You look at the matchups. A lot of tough matchups and not a lot of teams I want to pick and use up in these weeks in case they lose. Um, so I am going to go ahead and take the Bucks over the Steelers. Um, the Steelers are shite. Uh, Tom Brady hates bad football. So I think he comes in and he trounces over the Steelers. I'm uh, taking the Bucks. Maddie? Uh, I'm taking, and this probably seems like such like uh, an easy layup pick, but I'm taking the Eagles over the Cowboys. Couple reasons. I don't think the Cowboys have been terrible. I think Cooper Rush is very good. I think surprisingly good. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing is, is one, I think the Eagles have been very good. Jalen Hurts is playing out of his mind. Two, I do think there has to be a regression at some point for Cooper Rush. And if Dak does come back this week, I think there's rust. So with that being said, with the fact that there's either going to be a regression for Rush or Dak comes back and there's some rust. I'm and the Eagles have been playing so well. I think they just kind of roll through, you know, kind of a rival. I do think that the Eagles will take this one. This might be the toughest defensive challenge, though the Eagles have have run into with mm-hmm. uh, with Micah Parsons being as good as he is. Um, that what being is, said, that dude that dude had like he had the word of the Lord on his. <laughs> ass last week that's for sure he played he's, uh, nuts he's something special and but i think that the philadelphia offense is just too deep when you include hertz as the threat type of threat he is between devonta smith aj brown and uh miles sanders dallas goddard they're just they're too good they're too good all right and i think that is going to wrap up the actual sport version of 43.6 this week. But we are going to discuss a couple of wrestling topics because we have about 10 minutes left. And by God, James, are we going to be on time this week? <laughs> by God. By God. My, my God. <laughs> uh, there's a couple things that came up this week and I think is worth uh, talking about. I'll, I'll leave the Bray Wyatt thing to the end because I think that has a bit more meat on the bone. Um, or maybe, anyways. What I wanted to uh, bring up, because this has happened a couple of times now. And why I think it's so hilariously, like, ridiculous. We saw it happen, or not saw it, we heard about it happen with CM Punk and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, and, you know, someone got bit, and there's the whole thing. There's a locker room fight. And we haven't seen any of those guys since. They've all been suspended. And then, last week, Sammy Guevara and Andrade were going back and forth on Twitter, like they were, like, teenagers i was like what, what's happening here like they're not involved in a storyline so what what are they yelling at each other for and supposedly they're like legitimately mad at each other and then they went to tv on wednesday and i guess no one thought this could have possibly have happened they left them in the same locker room and they got in the fight <laughs> and what what's hilarious to me james and maddie when this happens and they ended up like, I don't know if they suspended Andrade or they fired Andrade. Like he was scheduled for a match on the following 
Friday and then this match never happened. So I don't know if he's been suspended or let go or whatever. But the fight happens and then there's disciplinary action where they're suspended or whatever. But then we'll watch the show on your Wednesday night and someone will be doing an interview with Alex Marvez. And then out of nowhere, someone gets a forearm to the back of the head. <laughs> and out of nowhere, someone gets kicked in the face. And there is literally a backstage fight in the locker room that you're putting on television. And nothing happens. No one gets suspended. It just builds to a match the next week. It kind of ruins, Can it we kind just, of ruins the magic a bit, doesn't it? Like all this shit that right? they do. You know, for, for what, and what it's worth, I heard that Andrade is trying to get fired. Because he wants to go to the E. So apparently Tony Khan told them both, like, don't start shit. And Andrade, you're not going to get fired. So I guess, like, if you're Andrade and, like, well, I'm trying to get fired, but I'm not going to get fired. I might as well punch this dick in the face. Like, you might, like, <laughs> like, what's, what's, what is your repercussion? You're suspended, I guess, without pay, maybe? Sure. I mean, his dad-in-law is Ric Flair. What the fuck does he need money for? Like, his wife's still making bank. He doesn't need money. So, like, I don't know. I it's, it's stupid. The, Tony Khan's got to get his shit together, and by shit, I mean his roster. Like, they need they need to fucking smarten up. It's I, it's not I a good a, product. I saw, yeah, I, I saw a quote the other day. It might have been today, actually. It was I say yesterday from Ethan Page, and he was saying that like the guys who are in his locker room, they're all like rooting for each other to like do well or whatever. But the guys who have their name on a locker room, they don't interact with those guys. They don't care about those guys. Yeah. That right there is the problem. If it was me and, I, and Tony Khan say, hey, Dustin, come in here and fix my locker room. The first thing I would do is rip the names off all the doors. And I would say, the boys are dressing with the boys. I don't care. And, and by boys, I mean the royal boys. Um. I don't care if you are at the top of the card or if you're at the bottom of the card. You're using the same locker yeah. room. Dressing room one, dressing room two, dressing room three. Find a spot, yeah. sit the fuck down. Exactly. There, there shouldn't be that divide of the locker room. And that happened in WCW. And they went out of business. I think we, I, we all remember but that. Listen, like he's Hulk Hogan the, had his own locker room. Macho Man same, had his own locker room. But he's following the same model. The minute WCW started acquiring all these... Listen, it started off fine. They acquired one or two... Ex-Fed dudes made a splash, made it big. Then they started taking them all on. Then they started taking all the other guys on. And then the roster got bloated. And they couldn't find figure out how to feature these guys on TV every week. And then you started having really weird programming where nothing made sense. It was the same thing with WCW. They didn't know how to manage anything. And they gave power to the guys that they thought had been there before. And this is what's happened. And it's happening now. And I'm not saying the guys who are taking power are good or bad, but it's the same thing. Chris Jericho is going to step up and fix it. John Moxley is going to step up. And be, no, no, you're the boss. Everyone else is the employees. Stop. Like every time you put the, like it's, it, it doesn't work. It's never worked. The worst, the worst times, even for, for like triple H wasn't an active performer. Once in a while as a special attraction is not the same as being booked in a championship title chase, brother. Yeah. Like that's it's not the same. Like it doesn't it doesn't work. 
Yeah, it, it is eerie how many similarities there are to the death of WCW, but I hope that's not the case. I hope they are around forever, but they need to get, you're right, they need to get their shit together. And please, if you're going to continue to have these fights backstage, let's stop doing them on TV as well, because it doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, what also doesn't make sense, and we should have like two minutes to do this, uh, Bray Wyatt's back, and what I mean by it doesn't make sense, it's uh, I mean, it's very supernatural and crazy. I like the idea, though. I like where it's going, or where I think it's going. I think I love the creativity that they're, they're using with, you know, everything. I am like, what's interesting to me is how many guys that Hunter has brought back since Vince has been gone. Like just tonight, Anderson and Gallows are back. Like he's just every every single night he's bringing someone else back. I'm glad to see Bray Wyatt back. Well, he's writing all the wrongs. He's looking at the toolbox and saying, "Okay, my useful tools are gone." <laughs> he's saying, "I'll bring them back." The Bray Wyatt thing is interesting, though, because I I mentioned to you guys, like, I totally resonated with it because I felt like that's something that I would have worked on. Like, that's something that I would have tried to execute even in my days um, on the independence. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoyed doing. So watching something, you know, like the Rosemary shit or some of the kill screen stuff, like, that was always the most fun I had. Um, So watching that felt like that. And that's why it was, like, really cool. I don't. I see some people talking about another faction. I don't know that this man needs a faction right now. Like, I don't, I just don't know. Like, and maybe they're looking at it as like, oh, we can use these people here and like, you know, strength in numbers are like a way to get everybody involved. But I just, I don't, like some people are like, oh, maybe Gacy is the pig. Maybe Corbin is the bunny. Maybe Dexter's the buzzard or, and Liv is the sister. Like, and Bo is the fiend. Like, I just don't mm. like don't don't overcomplicate it. Let the man run, like just let the man do his thing. Like he's really good. Like he doesn't need people. I mean, people need him, but wait, give it time. Like let the man. Don't fire all your bullets at once. You know. So yep. it'll be interesting to see where it goes. The reveal was great. Triple H with the old lower third tease, um, and then are we still on? Oh, look, here comes Champa. No, but it was Bray. And I like the call out to Brody with the door. I thought that was cool. I really thought that yep. was that was very clearly intentional. Um, and I, I think it was, I just think it was really well done. And I think, I hope Bray feels valued because I know what it's like to be a creative person in pro wrestling and feel like nobody gives a shit about what you want to do. Um, so I hope he feels valued now. And I hope that his ideas and he's, he's given a ball and he can run with it because I think... Like Triple H said in past interviews, he's one of the most creative people he's he's ever worked with. So um, hopefully we get to see some of that now. And hopefully we have time for shout outs, everyone's favorite segment of the week. Right, it's shout-outs, everyone's favorite segment of the week, because it's the segment of the week where we get to hear the best entrance music of all time, Maven, at the top of the segment. My shout-out is going to be nice and easy and quick. My shout-out goes to one Brian Robertson Jr., and if you're not familiar with Brian Robertson Jr., he plays for the Washington Commanders, and the man got shot six weeks ago, and he managed to start a game this week. Shot twice. And he managed to play last week. This dude is incredible. And I hope he has one hell of a career ahead of him. What an entrance he had, too, to the game. Oh, my man. God. Yeah, the, oh, 50 cent, the 50 Cent song. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> chills. Yeah, like, 
chills. Jim, your shout out. Uh, I had another shout out, but it's going to take too long, so I'm going to save it for another week. My shout out to Adriana Cheshik for jumping into a fucking TwitchCon pool, breaking her back, and not crying like a little bitch, surviving, and getting back surgery after breaking it in two places, and being one of the top porn stars uh, in the world, and being one nasty motherfucker. But, yo, shout out to surviving that Twitch uh, foam pit. Yo, she's going to get that loss here. She's going to get paid. We have like 10 seconds left, so uh, Maddie, take as long as you want, because we've already gone over. Nope. <laughs> Brian Burke, because he's the first one to call it this fuckhead reporter. And I watched that clip on replay so many fucking times. Yo, Berkey. Shout out. And shout out to all of you for subscribing and liking and uh, downloading an episode every single week. We truly appreciate it. Uh, Thank you again to Now Your Treasures for being our wonderful sponsor. And this has been another episode of 43.6, the Thanksgiving special of 43.6, episode 26. And we will see you next week for episode 27.